If you do have your Bibles, we are in Acts chapter 10 and uh, just continuing to walk through this incredible book in the Bible. And uh, as you're turning there, um, you know, we, we all have different things in common. We're all unique, um, unique, unique, unique. And yet there are many things that we have in common. For example, one of those things and not asking for testimony or raised hands or anything like that, but just like for many of us, perhaps all of us, we have a little thing called bad habits, all right? Bad habits. And uh, if you're innocent, completely innocent of having any bad habits, just ask somebody super close to you, like front row seat of your life person, and just ask the question, is there any bad habits I have? Just curious. Um, I was asking my wife this question, and she was like, like, snoring? Is that what you're talking about? Because uh, evidently I snore, and, and so, but snoring doesn't count. Like, that's in another category, like, so that's not a bad habit. Uh, and my, my sister's here this morning, and so she could probably share a little bad habits I had growing up and trying to make her life miserable like little brothers are supposed to do, right? Um, but, but the thing is this, we have these things in our lives that, uh, that we do, we don't like. I uh, did a little search. Seven most common bad habits are this. Uh, number seven is cracking joints. All right, so uh, knuckle crackers, uh, that's y'all. Skipping breakfast is a bad habit. Uh, it's very important. You need to do that. Uh, avoiding eye contact uh, is another one. Snacking late at night is another one. Uh, number three on that list is using um and like. Uh, when you speak frequently, to which now I'm just going to be completely self-conscious the rest of the sermon, so hopefully I won't do that. And number two, playing with your hair. And number one on the list is nail-biting. <laughs> nail-biting. So uh, y'all know who you are, and uh, we love you. We love you. Um, and, and so the reason I share that is because in today's text, we're going to be reminded that God wants to stretch us. He wants to stretch us and perhaps stretch us way out of our comfort zones. And, and we're going to learn, and maybe you could like say, yep, I agree with that. And that's this, old habits die hard. Old habits die hard. We have these things in our lives that perhaps we have done day after day after day. And the longer that we live, and that Perhaps bad or unhealthy habit day after day after day perhaps could be more challenging to break through. But today we're going to learn and we're going to see that old habits can die. And that specifically in this passage, Peter is going to teach us a powerful lesson and encourage us. Because here's the thing. I look at Peter and I'm like, hero. Peter's a hero. Peter is the one who's boldly, courageously preaching. He is the leader of the apostles. And so, so here is this mighty warrior of the Lord. But yet in this passage that we're going to read, we're going to learn that like us, like me, this brother was unfinished. Like God still had a work in this brother's life that God wanted to see a breakthrough in his life. The leader of the church. God wants to mature him and 
grow him. And he wants to grow him specifically in understanding the gospel. Because the, the way that we understand the gospel will shape how we relate to people and how we treat people. How we understand the gospel will shape how we relate to people and how we treat people. Google told me that on average, every single person has 12 social interactions a day. So, so 12 times a day, for some of us it's way more, for some maybe way less, but the kind of the average is this 12 times. So that's interaction with your spouse, interaction with your kids, your coworker, uh, phone calls, friends, neighbors, waiters, waitresses, uh, people coming to fix stuff at your house. Like we're having these interactions and, and we know because of the word that God's plan A for the world to know about him is through you and me. And that God's design for us is that the gospel words that we say and the gospel words that we believe must relate and must help others see that our gospel lives match. So, so there can be this challenge of the gospel words we say and the gospel lives that God calls us to lead. And so this is how we will make an impact for the Lord. And so in the text today, Peter is going to get a very important message from God. And I think it can be an encouraging message for all of us today. So before we jump in, quick background up to this point. Before Jesus ascended after his resurrection, he gathered his disciples together. And he said in Acts 1.8, he says, listen, you are going to be my witnesses. My power is going to come upon you and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And he ascends to heaven and the Holy Spirit descends on the church. And in this story of the early church, uh, you see the gospel fulfilling exactly what Jesus said was going to happen. Uh, it happens a whole different way than the disciples would have liked to have happened because it, it spreads through persecution. But nonetheless, the fulfillment of Christ's words are exactly what happens. And it starts as mocking. Uh, Acts 2, Peter is preaching and those onlookers look at him and they're like, he must be drunk. He must be drunk, but he's up there preaching the death, the burial and the resurrection. They begin by mocking and then it becomes intimidation and then it becomes a physical flogging. And then in Acts 7, they actually murder Stephen. He's the first Christian martyr. And the Bible says in Acts 8.1 that on that day, the day that Stephen was martyred, it says a great day of persecution broke out and said it pushed believers outside of the city limits while the apostles stayed there in Jerusalem. And so you got the gospel going into from Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. So much so that through the instrument of persecution, a table waiter named Philip becomes a preacher and travels to Samaria and leads revival services in a place where a Jew, at least growing up Jew, you would be like Samaritans, no way. But yet that's the people that Philip went to and he preaches the gospel and revival broke out. And then not only is God at work in the city, but God's at work in the, like off the grid. Philip is preaching revival services and the Holy Spirit taps him on the shoulder and says, it's time to go to Gaza. 
This would have been basically like the middle of the desert. And so he leads him down there to the desert. Why? Because there is someone who is seeking the Lord. They're seeking the gospel. It's a guy by simply known in scripture as the Ethiopian eunuch. And he's reading the prophet Isaiah in a carriage. And Philip runs by him. And here's what he's reading. And then the Ethiopian's like, can you tell me what this means? And so Philip gets in the carriage with him. He accepts Christ. He's baptized. And so you see the gospel expanding not just in Jerusalem, but to Samaria of all places. And not only Samaria, but to the continent of Africa, which is where the Ethiopian was headed. And then just last week, again, the least likely of all people to come to Jesus was a guy named Saul, whose mission was to end Christianity, who was at the stoning of Stephen. And those stoning Stephen actually laid their, their clothes on his feet so they could have a better throwing arm. He affirmed and approved what was happening. He's got papers from the high priest to go to Damascus. And he has a miraculous conversion and encounter with God. So much so that he gives his life to Jesus. And now he becomes and will become the greatest missionary that this world has ever known. This gospel is spreading out all over the place. And what we see now is not just on Pentecost, the gospel going out. And not just in Samaria, not just in Ethiopia, and not just Saul being converted. We are now going to be on the front row of seeing the gospel go to what, lack of a better word, the Gentiles. In other words, everybody that's not a Jew. Because for Peter, what he's going to learn is he is going to learn that the gospel is for everybody. And again, his understanding of the gospel is going to shape the way that he relates to everybody. So, what's happening? The end of chapter 9 of Acts, Peter has been in Lydda, and he heals a brother that's been paralyzed for eight years. And the Bible says there in Acts chapter 9 that all the residents saw it and they turned to the Lord. And then, the, towards the end of chapter 9, it talks about how they, other believers, heard about it. And so some believers from Joppa went up and got Peter to come down to Joppa because there was a lady there named Tabitha who had died. She was a faithful sister, and they were broken. She is laid in the upper room, and they go get Peter. Peter comes. He asks everybody to clear out of the upper room, and through the power of God... Tabitha comes back to life. And the Bible says about those in Joppa, it says that many believed in the Lord. And so I think it's important, even in this, is to see that the miracles in and of themselves are never really the goal. The goal is what the miracle points to. And that is the affirmation of the gospel of Jesus. It is the the, the, the truthfulness of God's word and that salvation only comes through a relationship of Jesus. Because this man who was paralyzed for eight years that was healed eventually got sick again. And the lady Tabitha that miraculously was raised from the dead, she's no longer living. And so all of these miracles have a purpose and the purpose isn't the miracle. The purpose is to point to Jesus. And so... Here is Peter. He is a man who has been greatly used of the Lord. A man who gave up everything he had to follow Jesus. A man who had a front row to the miracles of Jesus. 
Many of you will remember he denied Jesus three times and the resurrected Christ. He reinstated him and said, you're going to feed my sheep. And I'm so thankful that failure is never final with the Lord. And so if there's anybody that can be encouraged today is that failure is never final in the Lord and with the Lord. Preached Pentecost, he was courageous, he was bold, he led the early church, but he still had some growing up to do. And he still had to be matured. And he still had to be stretched. And God still wanted to work on his Christ-likeness. And for Peter specifically, he had a struggle that many people struggle with. And the word is called prejudice he struggled with prejudice his prejudice was this it was hard for him to believe how anybody other than a Jew could receive the good news of Jesus and be saved and be transformed somewhere along the way he missed the major message that Jews were chosen to be a light to the Gentiles Like the whole reason God chose the Jews was so that they could be the instrument to make the gospel known in the entire world. But for Peter, he he wrestled with that and he struggled with that. And he had this weed called prejudice, this sinful weed that was growing in his heart. Prejudice can be defined as any preconceived judgment or irrational attitude of hostility directed against any individual or group. That prejudice is simply making judgments about someone in advance, forming opinions strictly on the basis of preconceived ideas and assumptions. Prejudice is like a weed that grows. My wife and I, my kids, we are attempting something we've never done before. We are attempting to garden. By the way, like we destroy anything we've ever tried to plant and grow. And so we're, we're giving it another go. We thankfully have some awesome mentors who are teaching us how to do this. But at least, at least once a week, we're going out there tomorrow. At least a week, we get out there and you have to pull the weeds. And isn't it amazing what happens after just a short amount of time? The weeds are back. And unless you scrape them off the top or even if you get down there and you get the root out, next thing you know, it's rained and the sun's out again and there's more weeds. And these weeds attempt to choke out the, the, the fruit or the vegetable, whatever it is you're growing. And this prejudice is like a weed. It's a weed that's growing up in Peter's heart. Perhaps a weed that has strived to grow in your heart. And, and oftentimes our minds go to those areas of prejudice like racism or, or prejudice against nationality or culture or even accents. But people strive to separate and segregate in all kinds of ways, whether it's through political reasons or economic reasons, even are you single, married, divorced reasons, background reasons, clothes reasons, hair color Reasons, prejudice comes in all shapes and sizes and it's no respecter of persons. And yet it's a sinful weed that tries to grow in every heart. It's a sinful weed and it grew in Peter's heart. And Peter, by the grace of God, is going to give him the power to uproot it. And so as we look into this passage, we are going to see the gospel, the good news of Jesus, destroys prejudice. It destroys it. Uh, and, and, and we're going to learn this by God taking Peter way outside his comfort zone. 
way outside. Acts chapter 10 verse 1. The Bible says this. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. A centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. So uh, Cornelius is a Roman officer. A centurion, which means he kind of leads about a hundred Roman officers or, or soldiers. And, and the centurions were known as the backbone for the Roman army. Uh, and so this is who Cornelius is. And it says in verse 2 that he was a devout man who feared God and all his household. And he gave alms generously to the people. And he prayed continually to God. He is genuinely seeking God. He doesn't have a complete picture of who God is or the gospel. Soon he will. But yet he is seeking the Lord. And in verse 3, about the ninth hour, so that's around 3 p.m., around the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror. And I would too. <laughs> I mean, an angel shows up. He's terrified. Oftentimes in Scripture, whenever an angel shows up, some of the first words they say is, do not fear. Because he's terrified. What is it, Lord? He said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He's lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. Verse 8, and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. And the next day, as they were on their journey approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour, so it's around lunchtime, around 12, and he became hungry. And he wanted something to eat. But while he was preparing it, while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him saying, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again the second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. And this happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, there's a lot going on right there. But we have to remember the heritage and the tradition and the upbringing of Peter. No doubt a devout Jewish background. And so for him, when he sees through this vision, this sheet come down and all of these unclean animals. And God, through this vision, is saying, hey, kill the animals and eat. He's like, uh-uh, no way. I'm a Jew. Like, do you know my background? We don't do this. But God told him not once, not twice, but three times. Several times in the life of Peter, Peter struggled trusting the Lord. He struggled trusting God, perhaps even now, you are struggling with trusting God with whatever that, that blank is that you are seeking Him for, praying for Him for. If you think back to that last night, uh, that last meal, John 14 in the upper room, Jesus is, gets up from the table and He puts a towel around His waist. He gets a basin of, of water and He washes the disciples' feet. And it comes around to Peter. And what does Peter say? He says, you shall never wash my feet. 
I think we get the heart of it, but he just told Jesus, you're never going to do something. (laughs) And then not only that, if you rewind a little earlier when he is calling Peter to follow him and to be a disciple, Luke chapter 5. He has been fishing all day long. He is a fisherman. This is what he does. This is what he knows. This is his family business. He's been fishing all night, which is what fishers do. And then he's washing his nets and Jesus wants to have a teachable moment, just not with the listeners, but but for Peter specifically. And he asks to use Peter's boat. He gets in. They pull out a little bit uh, from the shoreline. He preaches, teaches. And then Jesus tells him to drop his nets into the water for a catch. And Peter respectfully (laughs) says, you don't know what you're talking about, preacher. You, you, You stay to the preaching thing, Jesus. That's what you can do. You do that. You do that. I'm a fisherman. I've been doing this all night. They aren't biting. And what happens? Boatload full. Like every fisherman's dream happens right there on the shore. And, and again, what, what, what Jesus is teaching Peter is this. Trust me at my word. Trust me at my word. Three times he denied Christ. Three times Jesus says, do you love me? After the resurrection, perhaps there's a connection here with the three times that this message comes. But here is one of the reasons I feel the three times was necessary. Is because if you are going to hear the voice of the Lord over culture. And if you're going to hear the voice of the Lord over friends. And you're going to hear the voice of the Lord over your tradition. And you're going to hear the voice of the Lord over your experience. Then we need to hear the voice of the Lord over and over and over again. And Peter needed to hear it over and over and over again. So he would know that it is the Lord. And Peter is about to go to Caesarea, which is like, if you're a Jew, you don't go there. You don't go to that place. Perhaps there's areas of town or places uh, in the U.S., you're like, I'm, just, I'm not going there. This was the place. There were two Caesareas in the Bible. And I, I, I pronounce it Caesarea because they're named after Caesar Augustus. You had Caesar, Mary Timo, which is right there on the Mediterranean, which is where this story takes place. There's another Caesarea Philippi that's up in the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. And, and there he also has another teachable moment with Peter up there. Lots of teachable moments with Peter. And, and so, so this, this city was about 30 miles north of Joppa. Um, there were palaces built there, amphitheaters. There were temples that were dedicated to, uh, to Caesar to worship. They had statues out in the bay. So when ships would come, the first thing they would recognize is this is Caesar's land for the, this was the capital of Roman occupation for Israel. So Roman leaders would live here year-round. Pontius Pilate, the governor we read about uh, during the crucifixion of Jesus, he lived here year-round. Caesarea was his home. He would just go over to Jerusalem when there was a festival so he could keep an eye on things. And so this is the place Jews despised. It represented all Jews disdained. Roman rule and Gentile occupation. And yet this is the very place that Peter is going to go. Verse 17. Acts 10 says, Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision 
that he had seen might mean. Behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Here's just a couple, a couple insights into this text that, that, that practically, that had the practical application of the fact that gospel destroys prejudice. Look at verse 20. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. I want you to go to this people that you, you, would, you say you would never go there. I want you to not hesitate. A practical application is because of the gospel, I don't hesitate befriending people that are different than me. I'm not saying, and I want to be very careful, I'm not talking about affirming sin. And I'm not talking about embracing sin. I'm not talking about that. But what this text is communicating to us is do not hesitate befriending people who are different than you. It goes on to say in verse 21, Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to this house and to hear what you have to say. Verse 23, so he invited them in to be his guest. This is a gigantic step. God is stretching him. You can almost sense it in the text. It's a stretch when he went to Samaria to lay his hands on these new believers. Like that was a stretch for him. He's, it was a stretch for him. The Bible says that he's in Joppa at a tanner's home, which tanners would handle dead animal skins. So for a Jew, that was off limits. So he's, God's working on him. God's working on him. But God wants him to take a bigger step. He wants him to take a better step to Caesarea. And here is what we see in this is that I can show, because of the gospel, I can show hospitality toward all people sharing my life and my home with them. Hospitality is an awesome word. It means loving strangers. And it's this idea that when you, when we understand the gospel, that it destroys prejudice in such a way that our lives become open to all. Our homes become open to everyone. We show hospitality. He invited them in. The Bible says in verse 23 that the next day he rose and he went with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. Verse 24, and on the following day they entered Caesarea. Can you imagine Peter's eyes? Can you imagine him walking in or going into this city and being like, I can't believe I'm here. I can't believe, I, I imagine he had more kind of in his head moments with God saying, God, are you serious? Are you really, are you really bringing me here? Here he is, Cornelius was expecting them in faith. He's expecting them, had called together his relatives, close friends. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I too am a man. So Peter shows up, Cornelius drops to the ground, like in, in honor and respect and, and like, you know, whatever, like, he's like, Peter is in my home and he's down and Peter, I love Peter's like, man, what are you doing? Like, stand up, stand up. I can show humility to all people because we're all made in God's image. 
We're all created in the image of God. Peter understood that. For Peter, he had a fresh memory of how God had humbled him. He knew what that felt like. He knew that experience. And he knew himself that for this brother, he was like, listen, he's like, we're all made in God's image. And so he, 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 he related with others with a great humility, a great phrase. And perhaps you've said it is by God's grace, there go I. So it's this, it's this humility that we walk with. That for Peter, he was not proud. He was not, didn't live the sense of entitlement. He didn't walk in the room and say, uh, you do know I'm the apostle, right? Do you, did you hear about how I preached at Pentecost that day and all those people got saved? And man, that was amazing. Did you hear about the trip I took to Samaria and I pray, I put my hands on the people and prayed for them, like how awesome that was? No, he understood that regardless of the wage he made, the degree he had or the title beside his name, he understood that all of that was a gracious gift from the Lord. And that by God's grace, we all walk with this humbleness to the Lord to be like, it's by God's grace. Every gift I have, every good gift is from above, James tells us. And he knew that he lived that. And so as the song goes, Peter was a nobody trying to tell everybody all about somebody who saved his soul. And so in verse 27, he, as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate or to visit with any one of another nation. I love this, but God, but God, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection and I asked them why you have sent me. And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. And so I sent for you at once and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. And so Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand. I love this. God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who comes, who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. That is for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him appear, not to all the people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. Verse 43, to him all the prophets bear witness. I love this, that everyone who believes in him 
receives forgiveness of sins through His name. And I believe with all my heart in that moment, Peter finally got it. He finally got it. It finally clicked with him that the good news of Jesus and the salvation that Jesus offers is for every single person. And what I love about this story is because God knew Peter needed to be a part of this. He knew. Why? Because Philip. Philip was the guy that was a table-waiting deacon in Jerusalem. And in the persecution, he's the one that took the gospel to Samaria. He is the one that preached those revival services and God moved in amazing ways. He was the one that then went to the, off the grid to, to uh, Gaza in the desert and shares Jesus and the gospel makes its way down to Africa. But then the Bible says that Philip went to Caesarea. Philip lived there. He was probably a couple blocks away from Cornelius the whole time. They could have grabbed Philip. God could have used Philip, but he needed Peter to know this. He needed to get Peter's attention so much so that he grabbed him through the, the providence of God and brings him to a place that he would probably never go. And God uses him to teach him an incredible lesson. And that is this, the gospel is for all people. It's for everybody in Caesarea. It's for everybody in Judea, Samaria. It's for everybody in the ends of the earth. It is for every one of the 7.8 billion people who call planet earth home. It's for all 331 million people who call the United States home. It's for the almost 3 million people that call Mississippi home. It's for the almost 185,000-ish people that call DeSoto County home. It's for all the almost 40-ish thousand people that call Olive Branch home. It is for everybody that God has providentially placed you in this neighborhood that you live in. It's for every single one of them. And it's for you. And it's for me. One of, as a believer, one of the things we must be careful to do is not just think the gospel is a message to share with lost people. But rather, it is a message that believers need to hear every single day. We need to be reminded every day that there is nothing I can do that can make God love me more. And there's nothing that I've done that would make God love me less. We need to live in hearing the gospel daily that understands our worth and our value isn't attached to a job that we carry. That, that our value is not in success as however we would want to describe that or our failure, whether we are children of God. And so God is teaching Peter an important message. Wrapping up, verse 44 says, And while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. They're shocked because the gospel is even for the Gentiles. The gospel's for everybody. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God and Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people 
who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have, and He commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked Him to remain for some days. Everywhere in the Bible, when somebody accepts Jesus, they follow in baptism. You see it every single time. We see it here. This text teaches us so much. So much. Chuck Swindoll, I don't know if y'all are familiar with the name or heard him or listened to him. I love Chuck Swindoll. I could listen to him all day, just sit at his teaching. But he said this. He said, though grace abounds, prejudice dies hard. And even in the redeemed heart of a leader of the church, this weed of prejudice has grown up. And God says, it's sinful. And by the grace of God, uproots this sinful weed that can shape the way we relate to people. And perhaps, perhaps you're here and you can relate to this struggle. And even in this message, this passage, God is stretching our understanding of the gospel. Because it is our understanding of the gospel that shapes the way we relate to people and how we treat people. And for this message, we are hearing loud and clear, loud and clear, prejudice is sin. It's sin. It's sin. And it's like a weed that shows up in our lives. And we don't ask it to. It just, it's just there. And so when we see it and smell it and observe it, by God's grace, we call it what it is, sin, and we change our mind about it, which is repentance, and we give it back to the Lord and rest in His grace and pray that we would have the perspective that God has, that we would see people the way God sees people. Perhaps you hear this message and it's like, you know, maybe there's been a hesitation for whatever reason, just because somebody's different. Maybe they like different things or they dress differently. Whatever it is, there's just kind of this, I, I don't know. But, but listen, may we as God's ambassadors be quick to befriend. I'm not saying don't use wisdom. Be quick to open our dinner table. Be quick to be humble and not proud as we relate to people for whatever reasons that we think that we might be in a better situation than they are by God's grace. There go I. Perhaps there's someone that needs an apology. Perhaps God is stretching us out of our comfort zones into areas that we were like, I'm not going to Caesarea <laughs> anywhere but there. But that's the very place that the Lord is saying, I want you to go. I want you to go. Uh, another practical application is this, is it's the heavenly voice instructed Peter. And not one time, not two times, but three times. And again, I think a practical play on this is, is we need to turn up the volume of the voice of God in our lives. And there are two primary avenues that we do that. Avenue number one is that we saturate our hearts in the Word. That we have a daily discipline, not for favor, because again, the gospel. Preach the gospel to yourself. <laughs> God doesn't condemn us. He convicts us. Conviction moves us forward. Condemn, condemnation paralyzes us. That's the way you can sniff out the difference. If you're like, I don't know if this is of God or if this is the enemy. Is it paralyzing you? Is it condemning you? Then it's of the enemy. 
Is it moving you forward? Is it moving you along? It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit always moves us. The enemy always condemns us. Always. Every single time. And so we need to keep the volume of the, the, the voice of the Lord turned up in our lives. And so we have been gifted the Word of God. And so we, we saturate our, our hearts in the Word. And I'm not even saying how, how much or whatever. It's just, just saturate your heart with the Word. The voice of God. And not only that, but time in prayer. When we go about life prayerless, we are believing in ourselves more than we believe in the Lord. And we, by practice, are missing out on experiencing the power of God in our lives because we're going about it in our own strength. And that prayer is two-way communication. We talk to God, but we listen to God. And so even in those two ways, be encouraged. Don't, don't feel condemned. Don't feel like I'm a loser. Don't, don't go down that road. That's condemnation. Rest in His grace and saturate your heart with the Word. Turn the volume up because the voice of culture is loud. The voice of tradition is loud. The voice of our past is loud. The voice of our friendships are loud. The voice of... of of, of, of culture, media, whatever it might be, is very, very loud. And so there's, there's only one way to out loud it, for lack of a better word. That's you turn up the voice of God louder than anything else. Louder than anything else. God help us to soak in His Word and to listen in prayer. And there's so much application, but it, perhaps you're here and you relate more to Cornelius in the story than to Peter. For Cornelius, he was seeking the Lord. Perhaps you're here, you're in the room right now, you're open. You're open to the Lord, you're even seeking the Lord, maybe listening in online this morning, and you're, you're like, you know what, I, I'm, I, I'm, a, I'm a good person, and you know, I know it's, God is good, and I need to be a part, and I need to listen. And, but the question is this, and I say this with all the grace that I know to say, good people go to hell every single day. And the question isn't, are you good? The question is, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Because it's only through Him that you can experience grace and forgiveness and have a relationship with the Lord. And for Cornelius, he brought his family he brought his relatives. <laughs> I bet you everybody he could get his hands on. Get in his house. Peter, go. <laughs> and, and, and Peter faithfully shared the good news of Jesus. And they gave their hearts to Christ. And I can only imagine Cornelius might have turned that city upside down once he got out of that little meeting right there. And so if you're here today without a relationship with Jesus, I hope you hear the love and the grace and the care of a God who sees you, knows you, cares about you and is pursuing a relationship with you through his word let's pray together heavenly father thank you for this text thank you for acts chapter 10 thank you for the example of a guy named peter who was a redeemed man a rescued man being used on the front lines of ministry man like, I mean, like being used in a mighty way, but yet he was unfinished, just like we are. 
We say it often, we're works in progress. And so for Peter, there was a, there was a specific lesson that God needed Peter to hear. And it was that the gospel is for everyone. And the gospel that you experienced shapes the way you relate and treat other people. And God died for all people. And so I pray, God, as believers, that if there's sin to confess, we are quick to confess it. If there's sin to be repented of, we are quick to repent of it. If there are areas in our lives that you're calling us to stretch outside of our comfort zones, that by your grace we trust you and in your power we go about it. Perhaps it's befriending people who are different. Perhaps it's opening our home. Perhaps it's sharing life. Perhaps it's showing hospitality. But in all and every time it's, it's being humble towards others. By God's grace, there go I. Regardless of a title, regardless of a wage, regardless of, of, of what accomplishments you might have, that we would approach others with a heart of humility because all people are created in the image of God and valuable in the eyes of God. So God, work on us. May we turn the volume of your voice up louder than any other voice in our lives. Not so you love us more or so we have favor, but because we know you more and we desperately need your voice. We desperately need your leadership and your guidance. And Father, for anyone here who's here and says, I relate to Cornelius. I'm a good guy. I'm here at church. I'm listening in this morning. I'm open. But you would say there has never been a time and a place where you've acknowledged your sin, changed your mind, repented of that sin, and trusted by faith Jesus Christ with your life. That he lived a life you could never live, died on the cross, a death we should have died. They placed him in the tomb. And as Peter told Cornelius in the house, he rose from the dead. And he's the only way to have forgiveness and relationship. And so if that's you, I pray in this moment you would repent and trust Jesus as Lord. So Father, we love you and we trust you to work in our hearts. And God, that we would be sensitive to your voice more than any other and walk in obedience. God, we love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. We're going to stand and we're going to sing. And in this time, just to be encouraged, we'll have pastors here. We'd love the opportunity to pray over you. Know that the altar's here if you would feel led to come and pray. Perhaps there's somebody who you know you needs Jesus. Perhaps you want to intercede and pray for them. Perhaps you see somebody across the room. You're like, you know what? I need to pray with them right now. But let's just be sensitive and obedient to the Lord.